This is Stories of Strength by MuscleTech, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. Welcome to Stories of Strength, a podcast where we share personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. I'm your host, Jay Cardiello, and for our first episode, we are going to share the story of a great American athlete who was able to represent the U.S. in both the London and Beijing Olympics. It's retired long-distance runner, fastest American to ever run marathon and half marathon, and Muscle Tech's very own run coach, Ryan Hall. Hey, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. It's an honor to have you on. Jay, my pleasure, man. Stoked to be here. Uh, So, Ryan, tell us how it all started. I was reading a little bit about junior year you went out, but that's kind of late in someone's career when you say, oh, my goodness, this guy's accomplished so much. But yet you went out junior year in high school for your track and field. So tell me, how did it all get started? Yeah, I think most people will be able to relate to this. I used to hate to run. So <laughs> all the way up until I was 13 years old. I mean, how can you not in our culture, right? It's like it's used as punishment in other sports. And and to be honest, it's like a secret club. Like running is not fun for anyone when they start, right? So like my first run was a 15-mile run around the lake with my dad in Big Bear Lake in Southern California where I grew up. And uh, it was not a pretty run, you know, like I had no idea by that first run was not telling me, hey, one day you're going to be running in the Olympic Games. One day you're going to be the fastest American to ever run the marathon or half marathon. Like I had no clue at that point. Like it was me in basketball shoes with my dad, just like on the ultimate suffer fest of a run. And it was the (laughs) ugliest thing. Like anyone driving by must have just been like, Oh, like I didn't like running before, but looking at that makes me really not like running. So that's what's the beautiful thing about running, though, is it is hard and it's hard to get into. But when you get into it and as you build your fitness, it kind of grows and becomes this really addicting thing and something that I fell deeply, deeply in love with at the age of 13. And I spent the next 20 years of my life seeing how good at this thing I could get. And I'm so grateful that I was able to push through that initial pushback that keeps most people out of the sport, you know? So just want to encourage, you know, people are listeners and they're like, oh, I've always wanted to run my first 5k or 10k or marathon or half marathon, whatever it is. And then you go for like your first run and you're like, nope, I'm tapping out. That's it. You know, like one and done for me. <laughs> like hang in there. You got to push through that first initial week, that first initial month. It can even be six months. It all depends on like what your starting fitness is like, but you got to push through if you want to get into the secret club of running. Well, 15 miles is a, is a huge first run. So congratulations on that. So let's fast forward. So you had a stellar career in high school and then you get recruited by Stanford. Going to Stanford, what was one of the first things that you faced as a challenge? Was it injury? Was it getting acclimated to the college scene where you're studying all the time and having to run? What was the hardest thing that you felt was a transition from high school into college? I could write a whole book about the transition from high school to college. I mean, in short, it felt like I got hit in the head with a sledgehammer. (laughs) So, you know, I grew up in Big Bear and all I did was eat, train, run, school, no girlfriends, no car, nothing like life was so simple for me. So then all of a sudden you go to college 
and you have the social component. The academics were way, way harder than I was used to. The running was way harder. I wasn't like winning every workout and every race. Like I was getting put in my place all the time in training. So there's all these adjustments going down and stuff that I never even thought about, like nutrition, for example. When I was at home, I would just eat whatever my mom made, right? But so I did the same kind of strategy when I went to college and it's all you can eat dorm. And I remember having a conversation with my mom on the phone after like the first week of school. I was like, it's so great here. I have like a full breakfast. And then I like (laughs) wash it all down with like a big waffle with strawberries on top all at the end. I mean, like I put on a ton of weight really quickly. And obviously that's pretty detrimental to running. So it made me for the first time in my life have to start paying attention to things like my nutrition, to my sleep, to all the things that in sport is so, so important important for maximal performance that oftentimes gets neglected or not paid attention to when you're first coming up in those high school days. Um, sleep was a probably the hardest adjustment for me. Um, at mm. Stanford, we weren't allowed to choose our freshman roommate. So I got paired with a guy that I really clicked with and really liked a lot. We just had a lot of different habits, right? Like at 9 p.m., I'm like getting ready for bed and he's like, having people over to the room and it's loud. And so the, my freshman year, like I would sleep with earplugs in and then I'd put like rifle ear mufflers on top of my earplugs to try to drown <laughs> out the noise. And I still like the whole freshman year, my eye was twitching because I wasn't getting enough sleep and there was nothing they could do for me. I talked to my coach. I was like, you got to get me out of here. I'm dying. Like I was getting hurt. Um, I was getting sick all the time. My performance wasn't good on the track or in the classroom. Like nothing was going well because my sleep was off and because my nutrition was off. And these were the lessons that I had to learn through my freshman years. Like, man, it's not enough to just do the training. That's why like I'm so passionate about sport and fitness in general right now is because I see a lot of people doing the training, but then they're missing it because they're not getting the sleep right. They're not getting the nutrition right. And it's like, that's the low hanging fruit. That's the stuff we should get right first, right? And that's going to, what's going to allow us to get those optimal results. So that's why like my buddy and I, we started run free training, which is like personal online training for runners. And we address that sleep, nutrition, how are these things going? Because I know like I can give you the perfect training, like the guys, the best in the world, this is what they're doing for training. But if you're not sleeping like them, if you're not eating like them, it's not going to work and you're get suboptimal results. You brought up something very imperative, sleep. We as athletes, you know, I was an athlete at the University of Arkansas. We competed against the uh, Cardinals <laughs> of Stanford and you guys whooped us. But uh, one of the biggest things that I had to learn too was sleep. I had to get that six, seven, eight, nine hours in the, every night. And if you don't have that sleep, you're going to be addressing injuries later on. Did you feel that you started to address injuries early on in your Stanford career? Yeah. I mean, I was just a train wreck of injuries, right? So because I put on the extra weight, I got uh, shin splints, which lasted a really long time. And I got IT band stuff. And I was getting sick all the time. It's just like our bodies need sleep so badly. They're made to operate on sleep. And that's really what kind of shifted for me throughout my time at Stanford as I finally learned to dial that in. And then the results started to come. And then fast forward to my pro running days, like I often tell people like, I was more a professional sleeper than a professional athlete. Like I would sleep nine, 10 hours at night. And then every single afternoon, I'm laying down for two hour business meetings, which I just block out every day in my calendar, one to 3 p.m. Um, I'm asleep during that time. And I'd wake up and I would feel so much better, so much more refreshed. And then I'd go out for my second run, go to the weight room afterwards and be good for the rest of the day. But if I miss that nap, 
I was a basket case for me and for everyone else who was around me. But that's really like what allowed me to kind of take my performances to the next level was being able to sleep really optimally. Brian, you, you bring up a very interesting point. People don't realize not the only importance of sleep, but the Im- impact it has and what happens with the injuries that that follow. You know, I, I uh, broke my spine at the University of Arkansas. I was a, I was a long jumper there, and it came down wrong in a jump. And it was because I was so fatigued. It was because I wasn't putting in the time. I, I finally learned to sleep later on in life, but not having that sleep during my college career has impacted not only my body, but it ended my career and it came up short. Are you still finding that with a lot of athletes today that they're not getting the proper sleep? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, not with my professional athletes that I coach. They get it. They know how important it is. They know it's their job to sleep. But more with like our everyday clients that I'm working with um, who are have full-time jobs and have kids and families. And it's a really tough place to be. I'm like, I really feel for them because I'm in that same position now. I'm a business owner. Um, I'm a coach. I'm a dad of four. I'm also an athlete. I have all this stuff going on. And it's it can be difficult for me to get to sleep at proper times. But I just try to really emphasize with my athletes, like, guys, like, there's no point in doing all this training if you're not getting enough sleep to to offset that. To I mean, I think about sleep this way. It's like performance enhancing drugs. It's like the most performance enhancing thing you can do is to sleep. This is when our body actually restores itself. And what I found to be super, super powerful is then you couple that with nutrition. So like taking in like muscle tech casein powder right before bed. That's what I do every single night. And that gives you that slow burning protein. So the whole night I'm sleeping, my body's restoring itself. I'm giving it the nutritional building blocks that it needs to basically recover from the day's training. And I find that when the nutrition and the sleep is paired together, that's when like I can train like a madman and and still recover and, and see growth. And and there's a saying in bodybuilding, there's no such thing as overtraining. There's just undersleeping and undernourishing yourself. And I think, you know, that's only true to a certain extent, but there's a lot of truth to that. I think a lot of people can train way, way harder than they think they can if they're willing to dial in their sleep and their nutrition. So I think where the water gets tricky is like, like, for example, I got into bodybuilding after I stopped running. So I really looked up to Arnold and I remember him talking about like sleep less, like you only need like four to six hours sleep. Right. And so you see people who are doing impressive stuff that get away with sleeping less. And so you're like, well, like they're not sleeping much and they're doing okay. But for me and like with run free training and with the coaching I do, the question is never what can I get away with? The question is always like, what is optimal? Because those are two very different things. Like you can get away with a little bit of sleep, just a little bit. And you can get away with it. You can still live. You can still train. You're going to feel all right. You're going to get okay results. But do you want to get those optimal results? Do you want to become the best version of yourself? And if you want to do that, then you got to get as much sleep as your body can possibly give you. See, it's so important that you just mentioned that because we need to dial in more. And it's just, you don't even just have to, people who are listening, you just don't have to be an athlete to dial in on sleep. People are coming up five, six hours of sleep and they're saying, you know, I'm waking up at five. Yeah, but I only get four hours of sleep. And then they're wondering why they're sick all the time. Sleep really is the quintessential way that you can not only optimize your talent, but you can optimize your intelligence. You can optimize everything in your life and you can decrease your chances of injury. What do you feel Ryan, was your biggest injury that not only had an impact on your career in terms of your training, but in terms of your mind? Prepping for the 2012 Olympic trials, which were in Houston. And uh, I was 
the fastest marathoner going into that race had just run 204 at the Boston Marathon um, the spring before. And so in a really good position training for that. And I got plantar fasciitis about a month before the race. And for listeners who run plantar fasciitis, very common, super painful injury you get on the bottom of your foot. And it is psychologically really damaging because the first step you take every single morning is the most painful step of your day. So it's like you get up out of bed, you're like, oh, beautiful day. And then you take that first step and it's like someone just stabbed (laughs) you in the foot with the knife. It's like, okay, this is how your day is going to start. You're going to get a nice stab in the foot. And so every single day is a mental battle being like this thing just is not getting better. You know, like I'm prepping for the Olympic trials. I'm seeing a million different therapists doing a million different things, acupuncture, shockwave therapy, like all this stuff that I'm getting done on it. Super painful work, right? Just like pain, pain, pain. That's all I'm experiencing in these therapies all the time. And yet nothing is working. Everyone's telling me all these different things that works for them. And then it's not working for me. And I remember the most helpful advice I ever got for dealing with this injury. And I think is relevant for any listener with any injury that they might have. I was in a, a PT clinic and this old guy was on the table next to me. He's like, hey, what do you got going on? And I was like, uh, plantar fasciitis. I'm so frustrated, blah, blah. And he's like, he's like, listen, I've had that before. He's like, listen, it's going to hurt and then it's going to get better. And uh, sometimes in life, I find the simplest statements to be most profound and life-changing and that was so helpful for me to hear because I no longer woke up in the morning like praying that I was going to take that first step and it wasn't going to hurt anymore but rather I moved into a place of acceptance of being like okay like this thing is just going to hurt and I'm just going to have to buckle down and accept that it's going to hurt every single run every single time my foot hits the ground it's going to hurt And that's just how it's going to be. But eventually it will get better. So I'm just going to train through this thing. And and I'm not saying here like, you know, what, no matter what your injury is, you should just train through it. That is not the case, especially if you have like stress reactions and things like that. But I think there, the, the, what I'm trying to get at is there is a place where you need to break that emotional connection that you get with your injuries Mm -hmm. when it's such a big part of your life like running was everything to me and this injury was taking it away so it was like me and this I had this crazy emotional connection with this injury and it was affecting every part of my day every thought that I was having and it was putting me in a really unhealthy spot and so I was able to break that connection by simply accepting it and you see this in things like meditation Buddhism where they do a really good job of accepting something and then just letting it pass And I think that's really helpful advice when it comes to injuries is just being like, okay, this is how it is. It's going to hurt. I'm going to accept that. And then eventually this thing will pass. And eventually my plantar fasciitis did pass, um, but I did have to run the Olympic trials on it. And it hurt every single time I took a step. But when you accept it, it it allows you to run through it and and not have it ruin your day. That's great advice. And um, I, I live by one. It's never giving yourself the opportunity to ask what if. Every night before I go to bed, I always say, did I, did I do the best I could? Did I, did I give all I could? Did I make you know, someone smile that needed to smile, that I reached someone who needed to be reached? And that being said, what, what I was going through when I went through my injury and I broke breaking the spine is that I created morning rituals. And I would do everything from meditation to incantation where I say like uh, by December 31st, 2000, whatever, IJ Cardiolan accomplished this. Then I have a journal and then I would take a cold shower. And it was during that 15 minutes, it was a very alone time as you're going through an injury. And I remember 
every day focusing as hard as I could on my mind, my mental game to get that up, to get it to where to be at par so I can make a difference not only in the lives around me, but in my own life. Do you go through or do you do anything on a daily basis where you have morning rituals or you create some sort of almost like accomplishment prior to your day even starting? Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing how like the structure of my day has changed. And I'd say it was uh, life changing when we adopted our girls and brought them home. Like my uh, casual mornings kind of shifted for sure. And for me now, actually, like I kind of schedule my day a little bit differently than I used to. I used to get up, like have my breakfast, have coffee if I was having coffee that day. I love to journal. I love to get my thoughts out on paper. I think that's so mm. healthy for, especially for guys to do who we tend to just hold everything in our minds and not say it to anyone else or not process it. Like writing is so therapeutic for me. So I love to do that. If I get the chance, I love to like read my Bible, get wisdom from that every single day. Um, prayer is a big part of my day meditation. And I used to love to do that stuff. Like first thing away in the morning. But now I find like with my busyness, like I am actually like most productive when I get up and I have my coffee and I'm just like ready to hammer, you know? And so I actually <laughs> like a little, maybe a little bit different than a lot of people do. Like I just start, I, I have my coffee and whatever's the most pressing, like going to require the most mental energy from me, I bang it out right then. Like I'm drinking my coffee and I'm just like nailing emails. And what that does for me is it allows me to free up my headspace because I always have these really important things I need to get done, you know? And so rather than like trying sure. to do this other stuff that is more important than that, you know, doing emails and whatever else I need to get done. At the same time, I don't like having that stuff just hanging over me. And so I find like do that stuff when I'm most productive, when my energy is the highest, first thing in the morning, have my coffee and just bang that out. And then I no longer have that stuff sitting over me. And so I know like every single morning I'm going to get up early. I'm going to bang out what I need to bang out. And then I can go to my prayer, my meditation, my Bible and not be like being drawn away by these things that I have to do. So that's been kind of like a little bit of a counterintuitive approach that I've taken recently that has worked really well for me. And I think that's what's important for listeners, you know, is like find the morning routine that works for you. But Jay, yeah, you're right on the money, like knowing what works for you and like having that be a habit where it just like it just happens naturally, I think is so, so helpful. After the plantar fasciitis, that heals up. Where are we now with your career when you're running career? So we're towards the end. <laughs> that was so that was 2012. And so what I learned from that injury is I really had no choice, right? Like my livelihood is a professional athlete. And like as a pro marathon runner, it's like you have to run the Olympic trials. You have to run the Olympic Games. I mean, I guess you don't. Like I could have just not done it, but I felt like I had to for my sponsors, for me. And, and also because you don't know what's going to happen. You always think like, oh, this is just a little niggle and it's going to get better. But what I really learned from that process is how important it is to make sure that your body is moving how it's intended to move. So what happened is I just developed a little bit of an imbalance for my plantar fasciitis and I couldn't even see it like looking at video and my running stride. Um, but my stride was definitely off at that point. So then I developed an injury on the other side. So I think it was like plantar fasciitis on my right foot. Oh no, it was on my left foot. And then I developed a high hamstring injury on the right side in the London Olympics. Had mm. to drop out of that Olympic Games, which was the first race I ever dropped out of in my life. So you can imagine how tough that was. And it really, that just that string just kept going. So then like I got a sacral stress fracture on my left side about six months after that. And I tore my right quad about six months after that. I tore my left quad six months after that. And it was just like this 
for four years straight. And so that kind of led to 2016 and trying to prep for the Rio Olympic trials. And my body was just falling apart. It was just coming apart at the seams with injury stuff, but also with um, some real fatigue issues that I was facing, you know, like as a pro marathon runner, um, weight is an issue, right? So you want to be as powerful and have as much endurance as possible as out of light of weight as possible. Like that's just part of the sports, like being a jockey. It's like, you just can't like not pay attention to your weight. Right. So I was running really light, lighter than I had been for years and kind of bought into the lie that lighter is faster. And so, you know, I knew I typically race my best. I'm five foot 10 and I was 137 pounds is would be my ideal race weight. And I was just going, dropping lower and lower and lower. So I got down to 127 pounds before my retirement. And I was running terrible at that weight. But, you know, in my mind as an athlete, you're just like, oh, well, there's all these other variables at play here. It's probably not my weight. It's probably X, Y, Z, training, nutrition, whatever. Sometimes it's hard to to identify what is causing you to not perform well. Um, but looking back on it now, it's really easy to see like, yeah, I was just in a really weak, really depleted spot. And I couldn't even go and jog 30 minutes anymore without stopping. Like I'd literally try to run every single day. I would jog like 15 minutes, super slow on these little single track trails. We were living in Redding, California at the time. And I would get about 15 minutes out and then I just stop and just start walking. And it was just like the way I can describe it best. I just felt like I was melting into the ground and had zero mm. energy, just felt terrible. And this went on for months and months and months. And so I remember I had a moment, I was flying to a race to do an appearance or something like that. Cause I wasn't even racing anymore. And I remember just kind of having a prayer time with God in the airplane. I was looking out um, at the ground below me and just, just like talking to God, just wanting to make a good decision on where I should go next, you know, because I learned from one of my pastors at uh, Bethel Church in Redding, California, where we were going to church at the time, um, that you should never make an important decision in the wake of a disappointment, right? So like, right after you have a bad race, right after you have a bad workout, right when you get hurt, like these are not times to make like life changing decisions. And that's such good advice. And I didn't want to just react to like the fatigue and the injury that I was going through, but I did want to pay attention to my body. And so I was just like, just doing some journaling, having a little prayer time, just asking God, like, where do I go from here? And he just showed me like, look, like, look at yourself over the last four years, look what's been happening to your body. Like when you look like your body is always trying to communicate with you, right? Like I believe that as athletes and people, like we just need to be really in tune with our bodies. And like, what is my body trying to tell me in that moment? And it was very, very clear when I looked at it from a four-year perspective that my body for four years has been breaking down, struggling with fatigue. Like I really felt like at that time, like my body was telling me, listen, I've given you everything I could possibly give you for 20 years and there's nothing left for me to give you. Like it's time for you to give back to me now. And that brought a lot of clarity to uh, my situation. So I decided that I was going to retire at that time on the airplane in that moment. But what I did is something I learned from my dad, which is also super, super helpful. And what I'd recommend for listeners of this podcast to do as well, when you're making a life altering decision like that, you're going to retire, who you're going to marry, where you're going to move to, job that you're taking, whatever it might be make that decision, tell yourself that, tell like one other person that, 
and then just sit on it for like a week and try it on. Just keep telling yourself, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. But don't like pull the trigger on it. Because oftentimes when you try it on, you really get a sense of like, is this actually the right decision to make? And as I tried it on, I told my wife, Sarah, about it. It just felt I could just feel peace on it. Right. And when I feel peace on something, I know it's it's the right move and the direction I needed to go. So decided to retire at that time. And then that kind of launched me into a whole new season, went straight to the weight room um, that and took me into this new journey of strength training that I've been on that has actually been super, super helpful for me in terms of to continue to grow as an athlete myself. But even like the principles I'm learning in the weight room are really translating nicely to the athletes I coach now and things that I'm applying in the running space as well. The two actually go really hand in hand together. So that's been super helpful for me both personally and professionally now as a coach to kind of have that experience I've had over the last five and a half years, um, becoming kind of a strength athlete and trying to transform my body into a a new kind of athlete. And you transformed pretty well. I I was watching you do some tire flips on Instagram and uh, watching you do some crazy lifts and everything. And you put on some massive size. How do you feel differently with your body putting on, what did you put about 30 pounds of muscle? Yeah. So I retired at like saying 127 and now I'm, I'm a lean 180. I got mm-hmm. as high as like 200 this winter. So pretty, wow. pretty substantial amount of uh, a muscle gain, but really like I had nowhere to go, but up, you know, and that's what I like to tell people like, listen, like mm-hmm. seasons are meant to come to an end. Right. And like I spent 20 years pursuing the running and seeing what I could get out of it. And then it's time for me to like continue to be who I am, which is like, I need challenge in my life. I need to physically challenge myself every single day or else I'm not going to be a happy person. So how do I meet that need, but in a different way? And how do I meet this need too? Like, I love to see growth. I love to see change in my body. How do I meet that, but not through running through something else? So I just want to encourage people, like, if you like to see growth, like choose something that you love to do, but you're terrible at. And it's so easy to improve and get stronger. I mean, when I first started lifting at 127 pounds, I I could barely deadlift more than my body weight, right? So like, I think I was deadlifting like 150 pounds. I think my Mm -hmm. squat, my bench was about the same. Like it was embarrassing. Like I was in the weight room and I just pulled my hat down real low. I mean, I'm used to being like the, one of the best people on the planet at what I do. So to go into something where I'm literally like one of the worst, weakest people on the planet was a, uh, was a real mental kind of challenge for me, but, but I loved it. I love seeing the growth and I found that a lot of the principles that I applied in running worked in the, in the weight space as well. It's like nutritionally, like I would eat every three hours when I was running professionally because I needed to continually be giving my body the building blocks it needed to have energy for the training I wanted to do. And then also to recover from the training I wanted to do. So it was like, protein, carb, healthy fat every three hours on the dot. And when I was lifting, I kept doing that same exact eating routine, only my calories went way up, my protein intake went way up. So I kind of shifted my macros around a little bit. But, um, you know, the sleep stayed the same. Like I didn't like, I always thought when I'd retire from pro running, like I'd be like, oh, I don't care when I go to bed now and I don't care what I eat. But I was like, hey, actually, I'm the same exact person now as I I was when I was running professionally. I still like to (laughs) sleep like eight to nine hours a night. I still like to eat healthy. Um, I still like to train like this is just who I am. So I kind of just embrace that even more so just in a totally different space in the in the strength space. So take us through your normal day. What are you doing now? When you first wake up in the morning, you have four, you have four daughters. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We got, we got four. 
that's an instant family, <laughs> let's just say. So you adopted <laughs> all four of them, correct? Yeah. So it was about <laughs> it was right before I retired, and it actually didn't. I didn't uh, retire from running because I was a dad. Now I was actually quite the opposite. Like my kids really wanted to see me run. They'd never seen me run professionally when we adopted them. And uh, I just couldn't, like I said, for all the reasons I mentioned before, I just couldn't get my body going. So I had to retire, but they've always wanted to see me run. And that, you know, I have to tell them like, just go look on YouTube. But now actually I'm starting to dabble in some kind of strength and endurance stuff together. But yeah, we adopted um, four biological sisters from Ethiopia and that was five and a half years ago, almost six years ago now. And uh, we went from having zero kids wow. to having four kids and they were ages five all the way up to 15 um, so, you know, we, we instantly had a teenager in our house and, um, life, life was totally shifted. But what I was really surprised by actually was, um, how normal it felt. Like I always thought like, this is gonna be weird. I'm gonna have kids calling me dad now. And, um, we're going to be a biracial family. What is that going <laughs> to feel like? Like there's all these different dynamics at play. And, uh, I remember from the moment we adopted them, like they started calling me and Sarah, dad and mom and it just felt totally normal and i have to like remind myself that we're a biracial family like i don't see it or feel it it's like these are just my kids you know and we've been lucky like in the places we've lived to not have that be an issue but um we still try to you know educate our kids about their race and culture and and those things that are important in this day and age what would you have told your younger self to maybe avoid the injuries, to, to if you wanted to lengthen your career, what would you have told yourself? Would you have said, listen, I'm going to run just one marathon a year. I'm not going to run 140 miles per week. What would you have told yourself? Would you have said, I would have slept more. What would have been the biggest difference you have made now and told yourself back then and say, hey, listen, I'm going to prolong my career. I want to hit all my goals. Yeah, I love this question because there's, there's multiple things, but I think the biggest one that comes to mind is oftentimes as marathoners, we kind of buy into this thought that like being fast isn't important anymore. And I didn't necessarily believe that. Like, I mean, I was doing 50 meter hill sprints in my training once per week and we were doing sprints all the time. Um, and I was lifting, but to be honest, like I was just trying to get through the weight room as quick as I could. Like, and the reason why is because I wasn't noticing a difference from the kind of lifting I was doing. So I'd say the two biggest things for me mm. that to answer your question, Jay, is um, in the weight room, I would have lifted a lot differently. I would have lifted a lot heavier, but in running specific ranges of motion. So there's, you know, a time and place to just do pure strength training, say like, for example, the squat. Like, like I usually do butt to the ground squat and that's great from a strength perspective, but as a runner, like your, your risk of injury goes way up. You're going to be using way less weight if you squat that deeply. Um, and compared to if you do a half squat, that's very, that's a lot about hip extension. That's a very running specific movement. You can use a lot more weight doing that. Your risk of injury goes way, way down. You're going to get a really nice hormonal response from that, which is really huge in the endurance space because every time I had my testosterone tested as a pro runner, it was clinically low, like clinically low. And there was nothing I could do about that. I tried all the natural stuff. I tried the nutrition stuff. Like my testosterone wasn't going anywhere. The only time my testosterone would come back into normal was when I wasn't running, when I was taking a break from running. And, and that is not to say that you can't have a healthy hormone um, panel if you're a runner. 
but to be me and training 140 miles a week and going balls to the wall and training is a very different thing than, you know, trying to run a sub three hour marathon, which is great. Like that's a fast marathon, but the, the kind of extremes I had to go to, to run 204 in the marathon was pretty dramatic and very, very tough on my body. So going back to the weights, like I would have lifted a lot heavier, but running, specific ranges of motion. I think that would have helped my hormones a lot. It would help my power a lot. I think I would have noticed a difference in my sprinting. Um, funny enough, I'm 38 years old. I retired from pro running five and a half years ago. Um, two days ago, I ran a PR in the hundred meters. I did a, a flying hundred and off zero sprint training, just weight training. I ran a PR in the hundred and it felt so good. Like I love sprinting now and it's a hundred percent just because of the weight training that I've done. So my lifting would have looked very different if I could go back and, uh, and do my lifting differently when I was running professionally. And then perhaps the biggest change would just be focusing more on 5k speed. Like when I ran the American record in the half marathon, I was coming off years and years of dedicated training towards 5k and below. So everything from 1500 all the way up to 5k, I was focused on those distances and I was really fast over those distances. I ran 13, 16, um, for 5,000 meters and then a couple of summers or a couple of winters later is when I ran the American record in the half marathon, like 5k speed is directly linked to how fast you can run a half marathon. And that's directly linked to how fast you can run a marathon. So I would have only done one marathon a year, which uh, that would have had to come down like on a tablet from God for me to actually do that. Cause I loved running the marathon. I loved running Boston every spring and then a fall marathon, whether it was New York or um, Chicago or whatever the marathon was, it would have been very difficult for me to step away from the marathon and only do one a year. But I think I could have reached some even higher levels um, compared to what I got to if I took the whole spring and summer to just focus on 5,000 meter speed and keeping that 5,000 meter speed um, close. But you know what, like these lessons I've learned, it's easy sometimes for me to lay awake in the middle of the night, be like, I wish I would have known that, like it would have gone so much better. But at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, like those lessons were not for no reason, because I'm passing those lessons on. I'm passing those lessons on on this podcast. I'm passing those lessons on on Instagram. I'm passing those lessons on with the athletes that I coach through run free training. Like I'm, I'm my wife, she's not making the mistakes that I made and she's running better for it now, you know? So mm. uh, to me, that's a healthy way to look at our regrets, you know, like we all have things that we regret from our life athletically sure. um, and as a person and to just be able to look back at that and be like, yep, I screwed that up. But you know what? I'm going to make sure my kids don't screw that up. I'm going to make sure they know, right? And if they choose to still screw it up, well, that's on them. But I'm going to make sure like, like they know like, hey, this was <laughs> something that really affected me in my life in a negative way. And you have the opportunity to not have that be the case for you. And that's that's how I think this whole thing this beautiful life that we're all in. I think that's how it's supposed to work. Like my ceiling, the level I got to is supposed to be my kid's floor. It's supposed to be where they're working from, right? Like they're supposed to take this thing to a whole nother level. Mm. So I'm not like, even though I still have the American record, I set that in 2007 for the half marathon. Like I'm not trying to hold on to that thing. I'm like, guys, like, let's go, let's get to the next level. Like that was supposed to be your floor. Like let's keep building from there, you know? Um, so that's, that's my goal now as a coach and as a human being is being like, how do I elevate everyone else? So is coaching, is that what's your next step in your career? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause 
I never wanted to coach because it's such a cl- cliche thing for a pro athlete to do, right? It's like mm-hmm. you have your pro running days or your pro athletic <laughs> days and then you get into coaching. And I was like, come on, like everyone does that. Like I'm just going to want to move on with my life. But then I got to that point where I retired and I was like, hold on a second. Like this is my craft. This is what I know best. Like I've had 20 coaches that have poured into me over the years, some of the best coaches in the world. And I know how they train athletes now. And then I'm just going to walk away from the sport and be like, peace. Thanks for the good times, guys. I'm out of here, you know, and not share that information with other runners, other athletes, other people. Like that's just wrong. Right. Like I, I have, I feel like I almost have an obligation to take what I've learned from the, the, the sages that I've had the opportunity to work under, take that information, make it my own, grow it, apply it to my own life, to my athletes, take it to the next level, like I'm talking about, and then spread that Mm. information to other people. And it's cool to see like, this is actually happening. It's actually working and not obviously not just through me through like a whole host of amazing coaches. But I mean, high school kids are just running out of their minds these days, like breaking four minutes in the miles, like not such a huge deal anymore. And uh, it's cool to see like things in our sport kind of going to the next level because that's how it's supposed to work. Um, and that's why like guys like me should, I think, stay in the, in the sport in some capacity and like keep spreading the love, keep spreading the knowledge to the next generation. Well, your legacy is going to live on for a long time. So where can people find you on social media? Yeah. So I'm probably most active on Instagram. I'm uh, Ryan Hall three on Instagram. And then also on Twitter, um, I have a Facebook fan page, which I believe is also Ryan Hall three. Um, and then run free training. If athletes want to sign on and, and uh, come be trained by the coaches I personally train, they can check us out there, runfreetraining.com. Runfreetraining.com. Ryan, thank you so much. It was an honor to have you on your show, and I appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jay. That's going to do it for today's episode of Stories of Strength. Big thank you to Ryan Hall for coming out and sharing his truly inspiring journey. I want to also thank all of you for listening to us. If you liked today's episode, be sure to follow, leave a review, and listen up for new episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jay Cardiello, and this has been Stories of Strength, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength presented by MuscleTech.